This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forrester, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Hello and welcome back, my friend. Man, this week I am joined by Jem Fuller. So Jem is in Australia, um, but he has not kept himself just sequestered to Australia. He's gone back with backpacking, firewalking. I mean, he is an adventurer. And the amazing thing is he is super open about, you know, like what he's gone through, not just holding it off to the side and going, hey, I can't talk about this stuff. But just in in talking with Jim, he has been so open and is focused on serving other men and, you know, making sure that, you know, just like you'll hear here, we're not isolated. What we're going through is uh, universal. Other men struggle through the same, if not similar things. And so uh, Jim just has an amazing story and we're going to get into some great stuff. So I'm looking forward to this. Jim, how are you doing today, my friend? Uh, I'm really well, Mike, and um, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm I'm honoured to be a guest for you. I'm looking forward to it, my friend. Um, if we could, can we start out talking about what does life look like for you on the the professional side? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my professional, my bread and butter is leadership coach, and my clients are usually executive or senior leader. Uh, level and and I have clients mainly here in Australia, but also some global clients as well across government and private and not for profit sectors. Uh, what I'm really passionate about with leaders is helping them lead more consciously, um, more aware, and then um, by leading more consciously, they're creating better organizational culture. So the environment for people to show up every day and, and do what they do and find a sense of meaning in their work. You know, we spend most of our waking hours at work and and if work was not nourishing or, you know, a place where you felt that you could thrive, then that means a big chunk of your life is not great, you know. So um, I'm passionate about people living their best lives and I do that through coaching leaders. I also have online courses uh, and international retreats. We had to put the international retreats on hold over COVID, uh, but very excited that we can travel again now. We run re retreats in the Himalaya in India and in the jungles of Bali and the deserts of Australia. So the retreats are happening again. In my spare time, uh, I'm an author. I've had my first book published, which was exciting, and a TEDx talk that came out recently as well. So I'm nice and nice and busy, but not busy as in you know, a badge of honor. I'm working too hard. I still have plenty of time uh, surfing with my teenage boys uh, and traveling with my partner and our, our kids. So that's super cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm jealous that you're like, you know, surfing much less, you know, that you're doing it with your son. That is amazing because it's like being able to do activities with our children, our spouse. I mean, that's what it's about is enjoying life together. So to hear that it's like, even with everything else going on, you're still making time. That to me is amazing. Um, what does life look like on the personal side uh, when you're not surfing? 
Yeah. Um, so good now. So good now. And, and there's not a day that goes by that I don't um, pinch myself with gratitude for how wonderful my personal life is now. And the reason that I'm so aware of that is because it wasn't always like this. Uh, but now, you know, for the last seven years, I've been in a beautifully conscious relationship with my woman, my other half. Uh, we're a blended family now. So between the two of us, we've got uh, three boys and a girl, 18, 16, 15, and 13. We do spend a lot of time with them. We've created a life where we can really invest in in the most important relationships. And for us, that's our relationship with each other and our children, and then our siblings and parents and Family is very important to us. And uh, we live down the coast. We don't live in the city. So there's uh, between the kids and us, there's surfing, mountain bike riding, lots of camping, hiking, trekking, um, lots of time outside. We love the outdoors. And yeah, and and also other things, you know, my personal life. I mean, I, mean, I think the relationships is the most important thing, right? And when you can create a life where you can invest quality time in those relationships and they're you know, in a really beautiful place, then the rest of your life is just easier, right? Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then, you know, look, I write music and, um, you know, we enjoy going to the movies and the, the regular stuff, you know. That's awesome. So how did you, like, intentionally design your life to have time for the relationship with, um, you know, your family? Like, because a lot of us are, so focused on our work and you know you already said we spend a lot of a lot of time there well we're also investing so much energy that then when we get home we don't have the energy to spend with our time so how are you how are you making the time but how are you also like making sure you have the energy to be present during those times yeah it's such a great question you know when i when it at first was suggested to me that um you know, if that home relationship, especially the one with your partner, but also with your children, if that relationship isn't great, then you can't flourish and be the best of you, at, you know, in all the other roles that we play. And the first time I heard that, it 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 stung. It wasn't easy to hear because I was in my previous marriage and our relationship wasn't great and it had gone too far south. Um, this was prior to my midlife. People call it a midlife crisis, Mike. For me, it was a midlife opportunity. <laughs> I got to start all over again, but I did have to lose everything. I lost my career, my marriage, my home. I lost a lot, except my kids. Anyway, that's another story. But um, So, when I was first in the room, and it was when I was studying coaching. So, I went to to become qualified as a coach and uh, using neuro-linguistic programming and human behavioral profiling and all the stuff. And the facilitator up the front of the room said that if your key relationship with your partner is not great, then, you know, you can't move into your potential professionally. And I didn't like hearing that because that's the situation that I was in. Then also around about the same time, lost my job. I was studying coaching. I wanted to start my coaching practice. This was nine years ago. And I read um, Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. And one of the habits in there he calls sharpen the saw, which means that you need to dedicate time on yourself and the things that matter most to you. And he has a quadrant model in there. And quadrant two, just to summarize it, quadrant two are the things that are important but not urgent. And we spend most of our time in quadrants one and three, which are things that are urgent. 
You know, so we have these urgent things on our to-do list and we get to work and you never finish your to-do list and you're always prioritizing the most urgent things. And if you don't schedule time for the things that are important but not urgent, i.e. our relationships, our, our physical and mental well-being, you know, doing the things that fill up our tank of resilience, if you don't schedule time for that, it won't happen. So I decided back then, and this was now coming into the start of my current relationship, that I would get my weekly calendar out and schedule time, I call it quadrant two, schedule time to spend on things that are important but not urgent, i.e. relationships. So then um, I, I would literally schedule time each week to spend time uh, thinking, how how can I nourish this relationship with my with my woman, with my other half? What can I do to nourish that relationship? And I started dedicating time to it. And as a result of that, we have a really, really beautiful, easy relationship. You know, it never gets to crisis point. We don't fight. Um, it doesn't get to the point where she's angry or upset that I'm not loving her well enough. You know, her love tank is overflowing and so is mine. And so, and it's true. So now I can actually, you know, move into my potential in the other roles that I play in life. So how, how do you, like you talked about this, not agreeing with you well, hearing about, you know, the, the relationship at home kind of being like the, the foundation almost Mm. when you hear stuff, that maybe you don't agree with how do you weigh it out to see if it's truth you know and you need to process it um you know just because you don't like it right we're going to hear stuff that we like and don't like but mm. how can we work through it to say yeah this is truth i do need to consider this differently yeah such a great question you know when we hear something that we don't like and it triggers us and we have a, a kind of immediate reaction to it uh, it's, that's probably a sign that there's something in there for you to, to contemplate and and do a bit of introspection on. <laughs> you know, if you have that, it's different to hearing something and pausing and, you know, in a kind of discerning way, just reflecting on it and saying, actually, no, I disagree with that. That's different. But when you hear something and you have an immediate reaction to it, like, no, <laughs> then I think maybe perhaps we can sit and pause and contemplate that. And it didn't take me long to contemplate it. it I mean, I sat there in in the room when I heard it and I noticed my reaction was, um, don't tell me that I can't be wonderful just because my relationship at home is terrible. I didn't want to hear that because I didn't know how to fix my relationship. And I didn't, I wasn't ready to contemplate leaving that marriage because that it was a terrible time for me personally. And so I I, neg- I reacted negatively to it, but deep down inside, I knew there was some truth to it. But I, I pushed that to the side again for a while. I wasn't ready to, to accept that truth. And it wasn't until in the years after that, that I had to go, wow, that's so true. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, it's one of those that, uh, when that stuff does rub us wrong, I think we really need to pay attention and kind of dig in further. Like you're talking about just almost Mm. like letting ourselves sit in it and not have a bias towards it Mm. because I can see myself if I was, you know, I'm in your position, right? I've, I've had those times where it's like, I'm struggling with my wife and, uh, you know, I invested myself at work because I felt like I had a level of competence. I had that level of success. And so almost almost doubled down on what yeah. I felt I was doing well. Whereas 
at home, I could have let it go. Um, yeah. So I love the fact that you're saying, you know, like really, if it's, if it's rubbing you wrong, really look in and spend some time with it. So that, that is super helpful because back then I wouldn't have done that gem, not in the least. I would have like been indignant. <laughs> about Yeah. This. Yeah, absolutely. I think in the moment when, when we're triggered by anything, um, you know, if we can create a moment to pause on your own to sit somewhere quiet and pause and just gently do some inquiry, you know, ask yourself a question like, if I had nothing to defend, what, what, how could I broaden my horizons or how could I um, elevate my perspective to this situation now if I didn't need to feel defensive about it? You know, just give yourself a moment to consider um, why perhaps am I so vehemently defensive on this particular point i wonder why that is you know and just to be gentle with yourself as you as you're sitting in this self-inquiry i think it's important yeah and grace grace and uh not being hypercritical of ourselves you know that's yeah that's something that's important as we're as we're talking about this and you know sitting with these things and thinking um like with your book the art of conscious communication for thoughtful men what is a thoughtful man? I mean, if I'm sitting here going, Jim, this sounds great. I want to be considered the thoughtful man. What is a thoughtful man? Well, Mike, you know, if you look back to over your life, you know, and, and you look back to times when that were maybe more challenging, in those times, were you someone who would sit and and have these thoughts going over and over in your head would, would you get caught up in in the thinking of things no i was very reactionary so quick to uh quick to um anger you know very temperamental short fuse that was who i was yeah and so how did you when was when was there a first kind of switch of starting to be aware of yourself starting to think oh wow i'm i'm doing this um i would say that for me things changed when the pain of who i i was in the situation right i wasn't feeling as though i was enough i wasn't a man like i didn't understand mm. my purpose i didn't understand my value that i had worth and uh, mm. the pain from that became less um, than the pain of like saying, hey, I'm going to ask this question that, you know, from what I've been taught, if I ask a question, that's a sign of weakness and makes me a failure. Um, you know, it was it was one that I asked the questions to say, what am I missing? What do you have? And so that's for me mm. where things started to change, where the the pain threshold changed mm, so that's thoughtful okay that was that was thoughtful yeah because you were pondering you were asking questions you were thinking you know i mean look arguably we're all thoughtful because we have thoughts and and i think quietly men would consider themselves thoughtful um a lot of men would um because we think about things um and and so I think that there's there's a, there's a brand of men of man what it is to be a man, 
And I know in America, it's the same for us here in Australia, where the brand is, you know, toughen up, harden up, the patriarchal dominate type situation, you know, don't cry like a girl. I got told that when I was a boy, when I was a child. And that didn't sit well with me because as a young boy, I was quite an emotional, sensitive person. Um, and then I thought there was something wrong with me because I was emotional and sensitive. So then we get taught to toughen up and harden up and be a man, whatever that is. And so we've created this, you know, indoctrination, this cultural stereotype um, that that forces men to cut themselves off from their thoughtful, considerate, emotional selves, uh, which is still there, just lying dormant, you know. And, and then we get to this point, like you did, and. And I did. I had my own version of your story as well. And I know lots of men do, as you do as well, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, hence this podcast and, the, and the, the beautiful conversations that you're facilitating, you know. And so, I think, I, think, I think all men are thoughtful, but we kind of have been taught to cut ourselves off from that. You know, don't contemplate that stuff. Don't think about it. Just take action. Get on with it. Get results. Make money. Do the do, you know. So, yeah, I think we're all thoughtful. Yeah. And I think the emotional side, like I can look back, Jim, and I was emotional, but it was anger. It was shame, yeah. guilt, you know, the emotions were there. Yeah. They were just unhealthy. And so I think yeah. emotions are, are like a, just a core piece. It's just, how does it play out? Which route does it take? Um, mine yeah. did not play out well, <laughs> you know? It was it was unhealthy yeah. for for me and my family. So, um, mm. I did want to to transition back. You had talked about, um, you know how how you're sitting with yourself. Um, your marriage was struggling at that time. How did you how did you begin working on you when you're like, oh wow, this this is a mental shift of how I've seen things. How did you work on the personal growth of you and changing your perspective at that time to set yourself on the path mm. where you're at now? Mm. Look, I had to hit rock bottom for, to have the, um, you know, the, the desperation to do the work. And, and, I, and I'm very grateful that I was a father at the time because I had these two boys who were at the time were, you know, nine and seven years old. So you've got these young people um, who re are relying on you, you know. And it was me looking at these two boys who were the most important humans to me in the world. And I was like, wow, I've got to get my act together. I've got to get this together. Um, this all happened at the same time I, I had a – a kind of an awakening, I'm calling it. It was in a North American Indian sweat lodge, a traditional um, sweat lodge. We were sitting on Aboriginal, sacred Aboriginal land here in Australia. So it was quite an amazing event. And I had uh, an experience that night, an out-of-body experience. I won't go into it. Um, but what came from this experience was I realised that I'd had this background belief that I'd been nurturing and fostering my whole life I was. This was at the age of 42 when this happened. I was 42 years old and I realized that I had this belief that I wasn't enough, right? That I wasn't good enough and I couldn't, I wasn't enough to be her man or I wasn't enough to be successful in my profession or I wasn't good enough. I just wasn't good enough. 
you know. And because I had this background belief that I wasn't enough, I manifested my life in that way. I chose to marry a woman who was who would let me know every day that I wasn't good enough. <laughs> I chose her because that matched my belief that I wasn't enough. I sabotaged my career, my professional career, because I believed I didn't deserve the success. Now, this was all subconscious. I didn't even I wasn't even aware I was doing this. But when I had this light bulb moment, it was like, wow. Oh, wow. You know? And so then I wanted to go to work on myself and change that belief. Luckily, at the time, you know, these books started coming to me around about the same time. Joe Dispenza's book, Evolve the Brain. Um, there was uh, other books, David Data's book around the, the way of the superior man. These books all started showing up, you know, as they do. And I read these books and I thought, wow, I can actually change my wiring. I can, thank you, neuroplasticity. I can change the, the the neural pathways that have been firing repetitively. But, Mike, it takes work. It's not like you can choose the blue pill or the red pill and everything changes all <laughs> of a sudden, you know, you're not Neo in the Matrix. You've got to go to work to, to rewire the new beliefs that you want to have. Uh, and so I did. I, I was desperate to get happy again. I was desperate to live a meaningful life and I was desperate to be a good father. And so I went to work on myself and I, and that just took a lot of repetition, a lot of reflection and contemplation, affirmations daily. I am good enough. I am good enough. I am good enough over and over and over again. And the wire, the wiring, the neural wiring didn't start to take hold for at least six months, but closer to 12 months. So for the first best part of a year of saying out loud every day, many times, I am enough, I still didn't believe it. But I'd read the books and the book said, if you do this, then this will happen. And I just had to trust the books, right? So I just kept going. And then after a while, the neural wiring, sure enough, it took hold. And I started to believe that I am good enough and that I do deserve success and happiness. I started to believe that first. I started to love myself. That was the most important thing. And when I started to love myself, this was the healing, you know, and my anxieties dissipated. And I attracted into my life the most stunning, beautiful, gorgeous, perfect for me human ever. My partner is just, it's really incredible, the relationship that we have. Uh, my relationship with my kids went through the roof. My work started to take off. You know, I started to create this, people talk about living the dream life. I honestly can say, you know, it's not an Instagram profile. This is my life. Um, and fundamental to being able to create that was first of all convincing myself that I deserve it, you know, and that I'm and, th and that I'm enough. Do you think that it took that time because that previous programming or thought belief had become in so ingrained and so we need to kind of give ourselves patience and grace as we're making the change because we didn't get to this point of having these beliefs overnight. We just you know, it. we need to kind of settle in for the long haul. Is that about right? That's completely right. Yeah, that's completely right. You know, I was 42 years old and had been running this, this software for 42 years, you know, or at least maybe 38 years or something because when prior to the age of six or something, it, it wasn't that. But, yes, you, you're 100% right, you know, and it's – Furthermore, it's not just um, 
having patience to say this will take some time to rewire. It's a shift of thinking to going, hang on, this is how I'm going. This is a practice now. This is habitual. Self-love for me, my affirmations, my meditations, the way I treat myself, it's not, there's no finish line. This is the way I am now and, and intend to be for the rest of my days. You know, the self-love affirmations that I do daily and the meditations that I do every day that have become habitual, I intend on living like this for the rest of <laughs> for the rest of my time, you know. So there's no my point is there's no finish line. You don't kind of arrive and go, yeah, I've made it to self-love. I don't need to look after myself anymore. You you always look after yourself from then on, you know. Yeah, it's almost one of those of I don't want to go back. Why would I ever go back? Yeah. I know <laughs> where this is and I enjoy it. Why would I want to go back to yeah. that? So yeah, it's yeah. been um like conscious and intentional, knowing that these things are like the bedrock of what is helping you to see things from this perspective, right? So yeah, I love that you've got that kind of set in. It's almost like the difference between a diet and a lifestyle and working out versus just, you know, going to the gym for hell week, you know, for football or rugby, you know, it's, it's no, this is a long-term choice. Um, you had talked about um, anxiety, right, within your your first marriage. How did that kind of play out as far as, um, you know, what did the anxiety that you're bringing in the, and the, the belief of I'm not enough, how did that play out in your in your first marriage? Yeah, it, it thought the combination of those two things created the perfect storm for me and I, I put all of my anxieties and my lack of self-worth in fact my self-loathing i put it all into one place and that place for me was sexual intimacy so i started to develop anxieties around making love with my wife having sex um and it and it was so embarrassing and and also you know for me and i and i know from talking to other men as well it was the it was the Achilles heel or the or the it was the most um volatile, vulnerable space to not be functional in. Because you think as a man, part of your manlyhood is being able to do that, right? That part, right? I'm the man. And and I and also in in not such a egotistical way, just in a loving way, I wanted to be my wife's man in that way. I wanted to be able to take her and and say, I love you. I wanted to be able to make her feel good. I wanted her her to be able to lose herself in the ecstasy of intimacy. I wanted that's I I really wanted to be able to do that for her. And because I wanted it so much, but I started developing anxiety around it. And the fear that I'm not good enough became my self-fulfilling prophecy, and so I became unable to be that for her. And it was so upsetting, man. It was so I, it was so sad you know, for both of us. And and also I was so embarrassed and so ashamed. I didn't tell anyone. You know, obviously my wife knew because she was right there with me, but she ended up giving up after years. She ended up giving up on me. And, um, and I was there alone and didn't know how to sort it out. I didn't know how to fix it. And it was, yeah, it was, it was really horrible. I would not wish it upon anyone. As as you began exploring your worth, like, you know, you talked about going to the sweat lodge 
having that discovery, that revelation, then you're putting in the mm. work as you're finding your worth and, um, you know, stepping into that, having that self-love going, wow, I am worth this. I do matter. Did you see that change or like, did the shame and the anxiety still remain or what happened? Yeah, no, it started to dissipate. Unfortunately for my marriage, it was too late for us. Um, and I found out after our divorce, we're friends now, we, we co-parent, so our kids are week on, week off. So we see each other every week um, with handover and everything, and we, we get along fine now. But I found out after after we'd separated that she'd given up on me five years prior to our separation. She'd given up. Um, but didn't know how to leave the marriage because she depended on me financially. Uh, so it was too late for our marriage, unfortunately, um, but not too late for me. So I, I started the self-work and then when my current partner came into my life and we were falling in love um, and I said to her, I just want to take this really slowly and I was open. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to be open and honest. And I was completely open and honest with her right from the start. And she said to me, I don't mind. That's not why I want to be hanging out with you. I just want to be hanging out with you because I'm falling in love with you and I just want to spend time with you. And she said, I really don't mind, you know, and I believed her. And pretty quickly, the, the shame and the anxiety started to dissipate. And then in combination with my self-work and then also in combination with the support and love of a person who could hold space for me to relax into and just feel like it doesn't matter, everything's okay. The healing happened really quite quickly. Um, and then, you know, and then we've explored to the other end of the, the scale of that functionality. You know, we've done lots of tantric workshops together and we read the same self-development books together, all of David Data's stuff, you know, and we're both, we're both right into it. And, and so now I get to experience in my life zero anxiety in that space um, and really, really beautiful, deeply intimate and connected lovemaking. So I'm, I'm super relieved <laughs> to be able to say that because there was I almost lost hope, Mike. You know, if I look back to 10 years ago from now, um, I, I had almost given up. Yeah. Well, when you've got that, that verbally being laid upon you, I mean, it just compounds and compounds and yeah it's then like that self-fulfilling prophecy where it's like what you believe is showing up and it's just reinforcing those beliefs um yeah how is your healing and you're finding your worth did you see that change for your children like did their their worth for themselves change as well mm. such a such such a great question i think so I think so, you know. I um my older boy who's eighteen, um, I, I mean I adore all of our kids. Um, and he's such a wonderful, wonderful human and so resilient. He was one of the kids who went through school and got bullied. He was the the victim of the bullies. Um, and when he was in primary school, he would be in the center of the circle with all the other boys around him being horrible to him. And he could have gone one of two ways. He could have become really unconfident and, um, you know, incredibly introverted and, and, you know, in that direction. Or he could have gone in the direction that he's gone in, which is beautifully resilient. 
He does not mind what you think of him. He's got a big heart. He's kind. He's beautiful. He's 18. He still kisses and hugs me in public goodbye or hello, like if I pick him up from school. Um, he'll still hold my hand. We'll walk down the shopping mall and he'll still hold my hand because we love each other and he's my son. You know, he does not care what you think of him. And so at school, if he sees someone put some litter on the on the ground, he'll pick up other people's trash and put it in the bin and people will tease him saying, why are you picking up the rubbish? He goes, well, because it's a good thing to do. He just doesn't mind what you think of him. He's beautifully resilient. And I think that watching him evolve like that and also my my other boy who's 16, um, you know, and he's more of the macho kind of typical alpha male, you know, plays football and surfs and, you know, he's all the girls like him. <laughs> you know, he's the kind of more typical teenage boy. But his level of um, of confidence, self-confidence as well, I think also has been fostered over the last nine years because they've watched their dad um, they've watched their dad learn to love himself in a good way, you know, not in an egotistical way, in a just in a in a beautiful way. They've seen that and they've watched me create a life of um, I'm doing inadverted commas for people listening to this, of, of a successful life, right, because I earn money doing what I love to do. I feel like I'm living my life on purpose. I'm generally really happy. Um, you know, I still have, we all go through pain, obviously, the stuff that hurts, but generally speaking, my equilibrium is of gratitude and happiness and joy. And they see that. And they also see me in a, in a relationship now that's wonderfully conscious and loving. So, yeah, I think it's definitely had a beautiful positive impact on them. And and they both as, as young men believe that they can live a good life. Uh, they certainly believe that they're enough. Yeah. You know, there's no kind of self-depreciation going on there. Um, so, yeah, I, I hadn't thought too much about it until you asked me, Mike, but but it must, it, it, you know, the way we live certainly impacts our children, you know, in lots of ways, doesn't it? So, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing they've had positive responses to it for sure. Yeah. And, and I'm really not surprised because I've, I've seen this in my life. I've seen it in the men that I've coached is when, when we heal, it's almost like we give permission, you know, to those around us that there's something different. You know, we're, we're teaching whether we realize it or not. Hey, this is, you know, these are my beliefs. These are my patterns and, uh, our children. I mean, I'm excited to hear you say that, you know, like that, that they've got this resiliency, you know, they have their worth because you're breaking, you know, those, like the, the beliefs that have been passed down to us, right? You're being a change maker for your family. And that's something that so many of us, until we realize that, Hey, our past doesn't determine who we get to be that, uh, you know, when we find out that is available, then we can make those changes and, and determine a different legacy, a different heritage that our, our children and our grandchildren get to inherit. So I'm excited to hear that. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so true. And, you know, even now that I've, um, I have the privilege, you know, the, the honor to be, to play a role in, in two other young people's lives. So my partner, her, her daughter and her son, and I'm not their stepdad. They've been, we've been very clear about that. <laughs> I'm just Jem to them. 
Um, and I've always been very clear to them that, you know, I in no way do I want to ever replace their dad or, or, or even try to replace their dad. They've got a dad. Uh, they spend half their lives with him. That's beautiful. Uh, I'm just Jem, but I'm very different to their dad. I mean, we could not be more polar opposite in terms of our, our character, our traits, the way we look at life. We're, we're, we're very, very different. And so they get to see, they get, uh, you know, a, another perspective on, you know, on an older male, you know, they get another perspective. And I love the term, it takes a village, you know, and you look back over human history, we used to live much more communally. We used to really live much more in a village and and the little people were looked after by a whole range of adults, not just one or two. And in our Western society in recent years, relatively recent years, we've become very insular. You know, we have this this house with a fence around it and there's mum and dad and the kids and we're, we're pretty isolated in terms of the way we, when we're eating and sleeping and um, you know, washing and doing just normal living perfunctionary stuff. We do it very isolated. Uh, and so, yeah, look, I think, it, you know, it takes a village is is a beautiful way of looking at things. And so it's been good for our kids and for my two boys also to see my partner who's, who's not their mum, but she is a woman, an older woman, and they're seeing another way of being. So it's a more well-rounded kind of learning experience that they have as young people, you know. Yeah. No, I think that's amazing. Um, I did want to jump um, to talk about your tattoos. I don't think I've asked anybody uh, yeah, on cool. the show about tattoos. So you're going to be the first one. Uh -huh. Now cool. you've got tattoos on your arms and you've got some on your feet. I love that when you see somebody with a tattoo, that there is a story behind it. Would you mind sharing your story about um, your tattoos and, and why you got them and, and where? Yeah, sure. Um, I've got lots of tattoos. I've always, I've always enjoyed them. Um, not, I don't enjoy getting tattooed. That hurts. <laughs> I don't enjoy the pain. I'm not one of those people. I do know people who enjoy the feeling of being tattooed. That's not me. Yeah. It hurts, and I'm like, Ugh. but, but also having said that, the the fact that it hurts is 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 an important part of it because it's a ritual. It's um, something that you have to go through to 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 have the tattoo you have to go through something to get it and that's a metaphor for uh, a way of looking at life and i think that's part of the uh, the tribal aspect to why humans have tattooed each other in in tribes in villages in communities in cultures over thousands of years it's a part of that rite of passage uh, and that's what's fascinated me with the tattoos and and i ended up tattooing by hand i tattooed myself first using tattoo needles but attached to a stick i use a chopstick and then dipping it in the ink and dotting it in dot by dot by dot so it's very slow um, and it's the traditional way of tattooing and i started doing that when i was traveling and living in india uh, and after tattooing myself and then gradually tattooing other travelers uh, and then it became a trade. So I'd give you a tattoo and you'd give me a, something, a massage or something, I don't know. Uh, and then after some time, my work got good enough and someone said, you could be charging money for this. So that became my income while I was traveling around Asia. I would tattoo people for money and that was how I fed myself. Uh, and then I ended up working in a studio back here in Australia tattooing. I've since stopped um, tattooing professionally 
um, but I will tattoo if if it's someone in community that I feel a strong connection with, and I feel that their reasons for having a tattoo align with my um, honor of the art, then I'll do it. Um, but I but not much anymore. Um, so that's that's me and and tattoos. My feet. I, I love the tattoos on my feet. All the other tattoos on my body I designed. I, I'm a bit of a, an artist and I designed all the tattoos on my body and I was trying to design tattoos on my feet. I was living in London at the time and I was in a community of tattooists and I was trying to design these tattoos for my feet and I just couldn't come up with anything. And so I said to a friend of mine who's a tattooist, um, you can have my feet, you can do whatever you want. And he said to me, okay, well, if you're going to do that, then I'm not going to pre-plan it. You just sit down in front of me and I'll just freestyle. And uh, I gave <laughs> yeah, and I gave him one piece of direction, which is I'm a Gemini, and I want these two halves that go together, but they're different. And so he came up with this mandala where the two feet, when I put my feet together, they they make a circular mandala, which is really lovely. But yeah, he freestyled it, and that was a really really liberating experience because normally you spend so much time thinking about which tattoo am I going to get, and it's there for life, and you can't make a mistake. It's got to be perfect, right? So to go from that to full surrender, full, and I'm I'm massive on surrender. We could have a whole conversation about surrender, but I, and I just full surrender, and I gave him my feet, and he just started tattooing them, and he tattooed them, and I love them. They're arguably my favorite tattoo. Now, was this before or after your sweat lodge experience? Oh, uh, well, before I got my feet, my feet tattooed in 1997. Yeah. So 1997, and my sweat lodge uh, awakening out of body experience was in 2012. Mm. How did you? How did you get to a point where you're like, "Yep, go for it," because, like, when I'm at a similar place where you are, Jim, I'm holding on. I'm like mm. controlling every little detail because I'm. Mm unsure of letting go and trusting mm. somebody else how did you get to a point of saying go for it you know i give you i give you all rain how did you like you talked about how did you surrender that surrender as a concept and a practice and a gateway to liberation um has been something that i've been interested in for a long time so surrender i just need to delineate a little bit around the definition of the word most people would hear the word surrender and they take that as defeat they take that as i'm surrendering to you because we're at war with each other and you're stronger than me or you, your army has surrounded my army so we're going to surrender you know that concept of we're at war and and i'm defeated so i'm going to surrender that's not what i'm talking about the surrender that you and I are talking about, and I, I know you get this, is uh, that letting go of holding on so tightly, you know, because when we when we hold on so tightly to something, we actually, and just so just say you're steering your ship and, you know, you've, you're holding on tightly and you've got a course and you're, you're, you're doing everything you can to stay in control of your ship to stay on course and a big storm comes. The more tightly you hold on, the more that storm will batter you and beat you and maybe even sink you. But if you loosen your grip a little bit, 
and harness the storm. The winds are blowing this way, so let's change our course. Let's be flexible and adjustable. And let's surrender a little bit to that which we can't control, i.e. the storm. You'll navigate a more functional way through the storm and get where you want to go in any way, you know. And for me also the exploration was, and I don't talk about this much, but but I'm being honest and it, it was a part of learning to surrender. In my younger years um, of being an adventurer around the world, I explored with psychedelics, plant-based medicines. And if you fight that, if you if you if you take a psychedelic and things start to change for you and you fight it, oh, that's hell. <laughs> you are gonna have a terrible, terrible time. Terrible time. And I truly learned to surrender to those experiences. And that's when potentially you can experience altered states that are quite beautiful. So there was that surrender learning that piece then as well but then also the surrender to getting a tattoo you know like like we were talking about the surrender of handing over to someone else and just trusting um you know or the surrender to you know even that which we can't control so covid comes along and there's restrictions and we get told you have to stay at home right and we had we had the longest strongest restrictions in melbourne australia i think anywhere in the world Fighting something that is outside of your control does you no good. <laughs> it take, in, in fact, it takes energy. It's taxing, and and you get worn down and depressed and and anxious and worried and sick. But surrendering to that which we can't control frees up our energy to focus on well, what what is possible? What can I influence in this moment? What what can I be doing? You know. So for me, the the idea of surrendering is. Um, a really wonderful key. It's been a really wonderful key for me. It's a, it's a positive term. Like when you and I get to choose to do something, mm. to relinquish, relinquish control, not mm. having it stolen from us or being mm. subservient, right? So, yeah, I love the way you described that with a ship. That's such a great picture. Um, yeah. So, um, Jim. Thank you so, so much, my friend, for joining me outside of this podcast. How can, how can men get in touch with you, um, you know, to reach out and, you know, find out like how you're talking about resiliency and being a thoughtful man, how can they connect? Mm. Uh, I mean, look, the, the easiest way to get in touch with me is just through my website. Just contact me through gemfuller.com. Um, but mate, I, I'd like to offer you and, and your guests, um, something that might be helpful, if you don't mind. Um, I, I've got an online course in um, mind. It's a, an introduction to mindfulness meditation. And mindfulness, the practice of mindfulness over the last decade for me has become really one of the most powerful mind training tools to make my life easier. Uh, so I made a course. It's Mindfulness Made Easy. It's just a 10-day easy course. And if your guests would like to put in the coupon code SPRINGGIFT, just as one word, spring gift, it'll make the course free for them and they can download it and keep it forever. Um, and you can find that on my website under the courses bit. Um, but if I could offer that, then that's something that I can give for you. Jim, I appreciate it. That is super generous. I'll put that in the show notes. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it, my friend. Thank you. You're welcome. And Mike, just one other thing. Yeah. If, if people um, would like to look at my TEDx talk, that'd be 
that'd be great. Just Google Jem Fuller on on YouTube. Um, and and my book, The Art of Conscious Communication for Thoughtful Men, that you mentioned as well, you can buy that anywhere, Amazon or wherever. But if people are interested, they can go to those places as well. Yeah, and I'll list both. I'll list both of those as well in the show notes for you, so uh, people can connect. Jim, thank you, my friend, for being so open and encouraging. I mean, being transparent about you know the anxiety and your uh, sweat lodge experience and how things transformed, not just for you but for your children and your relationship. I mean, dude, that's so encouraging. So I appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. You're welcome, Mike. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. It helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode. And remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.